I'll read Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'll just pray for this before we start. Love and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for this opportunity we have to gather on a Sunday evening. And we pray by the end of this that we would have a bigger view of who you are. We'd have a greater love for the Lord Jesus and a bigger understanding of what you have done for us. Pray this in your name. Amen. So listen to this quote. This is a quote by a man called Charles Spurgeon. He was an 18th century preacher. He said, the self-righteous person in us is a great deal older than the Christian. He says of himself, if I were a self-righteous person today, I would be some 15 or 16 years older than I am as a Christian, for we are all born self-righteous. That's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, an 18th century preacher. It's a bold claim. But what he's saying is that every person who is born is born self-righteous, born with this attitude that they can somehow build their way to God, build their way to heaven. There's something that we can do that can earn heaven. He says that everyone thinks that by our good deeds we can get to heaven. It's a bold claim, and some of you even in here might not agree with that. But I think the idea that we are not perfect, we can kind of deal with. But sometimes we have the attitude or where we think that we're not bad enough for hell, therefore we should probably go to heaven. That's kind of the attitude that we have in life. Maybe we don't think about that with relation to God, but I know for certain we think about that in relationship to everyone around us. We always want to have people think of us as good. We always want th people to think good things about us, that we're doing well. We actually look for people's approval everywhere in our life. I think sometimes we put this mask on to kind of cover up what we're actually like so that people around us will think good of us. And I've got some examples where this is true, handing out a CV. I don't think anyone hands out a CV with 100% of the truth. We put down things like where we helped at the holiday club, and it was great because it gave us good understanding in leadership, in mentoring young people, most importantly, working as a team. We don't put on it that we were corralling children, stopping them eating the prit stick. We spin it to look at, make it look slightly better than it is. Or running. I know some people who go running and they tell me the time that they've done. 
But then when they tell me the time, they'll tell me there was loads of hills, though, and then they'll show me on their phone kind of the precipitation rate at that hour and how wet it was and how windy it was and how difficult it was. We always kind of spin it slightly better. Or the last one is kind of in social media. I know myself for certain there's not a chance that I portray what I'm actually like all the time. There's not a chance that we post photos on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook of us watching Coronation Street on a Tuesday night with Doritos all down our front. We post photos of us spick and spam in our absolute best at the weddings where we're walking along a beach or walking beside a lake. We have this inbuilt desire to look good in front of people. We have this inbuilt desire that we want people to think good of us. And we actually think it works. And when it doesn't, it absolutely crushes us. We are desperate to portray ourselves as good, as well. And we think that it works, and sometimes we think that we can fool God with this same attitude. We think we can portray our best, and that is what saves us. We think we can portray our best, the good life, because we try desperately for nobody to see what we're actually like. We don't want anyone to know what we're actually like. What he said is that we are all born self-righteous. We're all born with this inbuilt attitude. We want to feel better. We want to feel accepted. We're not bad enough for hell, so therefore we should probably get into heaven. That's kind of what we think. And that's exactly what the Christian message is tapping into. That's exactly why Luke wrote what he wrote in Luke chapter 18. That's exactly why Jesus tells this parable, because he knows that we have this tendency as Christians, but also people who aren't Christians with this attitude that we can look good before God, that we should probably get to heaven. And that's why Jesus spoke this parable. Look at this, verse 9. As a preacher, you love it when Jesus does the hard work for you and tells you exactly why he's doing what he's doing. That's what he does in this parable. Verse 9, he says, he, no, Luke tells us, he told us this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus starts to tell this parable, this kind of story, a teaching tool that he uses. Because there's people in front of him who thought of themselves as righteous, as doing well, as doing good and that might have been with people around them, that they were doing well, kind of doing well-to-do people. But he's saying, I think, with the aim and the idea of doing well before God, that they can deserve heaven because of the things that they do. So verse 10, he jumps into this parable. He tells them, two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. This is a well-known parable that you may have heard many times before, but I don't think it pulls back in the punch. There's two characters. There's the Pharisee and there is the tax collector, and they both go up to the temple to pray. And if you've been in church for a while, you have this attitude where we know Pharisees equals bad guys. Pharisees is the bad people who we don't want to be like. But to Jesus' hearers, this wasn't the case. They thought they were good they were the people who were seen to be following the letter of the law. They were seen to be doing everything that God had told them. And in fact, they, they wanted the nation of Israel to flourish. They wanted Israel to be out of Roman rule. They wanted Israel to flourish again. 
So they were kind of nationalistic, patriotic, loyal, respected people who followed God's law to the letter, every single part of it. They wanted to get out of Roman control. And then you have the tax collector. If the Pharisee is loyal and patriotic and nationalistic, the tax collector is the complete opposite. The tax collector is someone who works for the Roman government, takes money off his own Jewish people to give to the Romans. And they were known for kind of skimming some off for themselves, taking from their brothers and sisters, their family members, their nation, and taking it for themselves. They had very few friends. They were hated people in society. Even in Luke's gospel, Luke puts them synonymous with sinners. Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners three different times through Luke's gospel. So you have the righteous teacher and then you have the rejected tax collector, the religious elite and the religious exile up against each other, polar opposites in religious prestige. And the question is, how does God save? Does he save by merit or does he save by mercy? So let's look at the Pharisee's prayer, this nationalistic, loyal person who followed God's, letter to, God's law to the letter. The Pharisee stands up and he prays. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Thanking God for the way that he was made. Thanking God for everything that he was like. And I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a bad prayer to pray, thank you God for what you've given me. Thank you God for the situation I'm in, that I'm in Edinburgh. If you're thankful to be in Edinburgh, you'd pray that. He prays saying, I fast twice a week, he gives tithes of everything he can get his hands on. He's given to God some of the things that are the hardest things to give to God, the food and money. These are some of the things we find hardest to give to God, yet he does it. He suppresses his natural urges. He lives this disciplined life and scourging himself. He goes above and beyond for God's law. So he was the person who people would look to and say, that guy's godly. That guy's really, really good. That guy follows God and lives every part of his life doing that. He was a Pharisee. But they have bad press for a reason, and you feel this slight arrogance in him. He says, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I thank you I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. He is thanking God for all the things that he does himself. Do you see that? He essentially stands before God and rolls out his stall of good deeds, all the good things that he has done. Here's my CV. I'm leaving it all before you, God, thanking him. So that's the Pharisee. He thanks God for all the things that he has done himself. And then you have the tax collector. And notice the difference in the two. You have the Pharisee who is standing by himself 
Then verse 13, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. The Pharisee prays, I, I, I. The tax collector looking down, beating his breast, just simply says, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. He's staring down at the ground. I mean, actually, I think this is something that we can relate to, this feeling that the tax collector had. I'll tell you a story. When I was 17, 18, I think, I was not the best driver. Leanna, my wife, would argue that I'm still not the safest of drivers, but it was the first snow of winter, and I was a young guy who just got his driver's license, had friends to impress, and I saw that the sports center car park had snow all over it that no one had even touched. So I thought, having my mom's voice ringing in the back of my ear saying, drive safe now, had that ringing in my ear, but I ignored it and drove into the car park and I started doing handbrake turns in the car park. It was incredible. And the car was spinning and spinning and it was a laugh and it was great and then thud straight into a hidden curb that the snow had covered up. Ruined the flower beds of the sports center. Turns out it actually knocked the wheel off axis. And when I drove home, it made this really funny noise. And I remember getting home. And I still remember it to this day when mum woke up the next morning and asked me what the noise was in the car. And I couldn't even look her in the eye. I felt like such an idiot. I was ashamed of my own stupidity, guilty as could be. And I was staring down and I couldn't look her in the eye. And you've had this if you've ever been told off by a teacher for something that you know you shouldn't have done, or a parent, or a spouse. The shame that you feel. This is what the tax collector felt like. This is how the tax collector felt. He's staring at the ground, not able to lift his head to God. He knows he's done many wrongs in his life. He knows he's a tax collector. He knows that he's taken from his fellow countrymen and lied, and lied to God. He knows he's hated, he knows he's wronged people, and there's no fool in anyone. And he has nothing to show, so he stands before God, and he prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you see the difference of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee says, I tithe, I fast, I'm good, I thank you for all that I do, essentially. And the tax collector doesn't even look up and he just says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee never acknowledges himself as a sinner. The tax collector knows nothing but this. And then as I was saying, Jesus is great because he explains this parable in verse 14 and 15. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified that is right before God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He's saying that anyone who humbles himself realizes that they are not righteous by themselves, by anything that they do, that they are not right before God, 
they will be exalted. They will be saved. They will know eternity with God, enjoy an everlasting relationship with a good, loving, gracious creator. That's the tax collector, the one who humbles himself and says, I'm a sinner. And the flip side is that those who exalt themselves now in their own good deeds or think that they're good enough for heaven or God, they'll be humbled. The praise that they get will be short-lived. They realize that they are not as good as they thought they were. They will realize that they're not as good as they thought they are. Not right before God and not saved. That's a parable, but to put it into context, I thought I would tell another story. Imagine Jack and Billy. They grew up together in school, but they've gone their separate ways since then. Jack has grown up in the church. He comes along every single week. Gone to church for years. Maybe his granddad was a minister. He's gone to creche, to Sunday school, to all the youth events, to camp. He even now helps out on the tea rota, helps with kids' work. For about 35 years, except for holidays, he's been to church twice a week. No one really knows it, but actually he gave a large proportion towards the church extension program. That's Jack. And then you have Billy. Billy's stumbled to church for the first time since probably age nine when he was last there at Sunday club or Sunday school where he was told off and he never went back. He was about 35 as well. He'd been out late the night before, probably still smells of stale alcohol. Had a packet of something in his pocket still. He's been in a bad way for a number of years with a drug and a drink problem. And he can't hold the job down. And they pass each other as they're walking in. And Jack just about recognizes who this guy was. He recognizes him from school. That's Billy. And Jack just walks right up the front sits in the seat he's always sat in. Billy just sneaks in at the back, cap over his head, keeping a low profile. He's in his jeans and a scruffy hoodie. Jack's there shaking the hands of the elders, shaking hands with the millers who he sits next to every single week. Billy doesn't even stand for the singings. He just listens. And at the end of the service, Jack looks over his shoulder and thinks, oh man, that Billy's in a bad way. I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I thank you, God, that you never let me get into drugs like he's in. And Billy sits there, may even still have alcohol running through his system. He sits there and just says, God, I've messed up badly. God, I've messed up so badly. My life's a mess. I can only be saved by you. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's shocking because that's not what we actually expect. But the, the end of the story is both of these guys go home, they leave, and it's Billy that's saved for eternity. It's Billy that knows God. That's not to say that Jack at some point might not, he might believe later on in life, but that night, it is Billy who stands right before God, gave his life to Jesus, you know what, Billy would probably mess up time and time again for the rest of his life. But he's the one who goes home saved that night. He's the one that goes home right before God. And that's why how God saves is good news. 
God doesn't wait for us to get clean before we're saved. God doesn't want us to do lots of good things before we're saved. God doesn't want us to attend 10 sermons, attend this many Bible studies, this many prayer meetings, or live in a certain way. He's saying here, what it looks like to be a Christian, this is what Jesus says, is to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We don't have to hide behind kind of the veneer, the mask of looking good. We actually aren't and never will be good enough. That's what it's saying. The gospel is that God saves people who are sinners. The gospel is that he saves people who are sinners when they are sinners. There is nothing that we do to add to it. God's mercy is what saves us and nothing else. This is why it is good news. Do you see that again in verse, the end of 14? It says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The good news of the gospel is, is that humble people will be exalted because of our exalted Savior, that is Jesus, humbling himself. Later on in this chapter, verses 30, uh, verse 31 to 34, Jesus foretells of his death for a third time. Five chapters later, he goes to the cross. Jesus can say this because he does it himself. Jesus is God. He humbles himself to be a baby born in a stable, humbles himself to a cross to die a rebel's death at a rigged trial with two criminals either side of him. And now he is exalted above the heavens, Lord of all. And this is true of us. We will be exalted if we humble ourselves before God. If we say the seven words that he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is wonderful good news. It's actually really freeing news. Because unlike the Pharisee, when he messes up, when he forgets to fast, or when he forgets to give tithes of all the things that he gives tithes in, when he forgets that, he worries and thinks, oh man, maybe I'm not going to be saved. Maybe I'm not right before God anymore. Maybe these things that I do aren't good. But the good news of the gospel is that we're saved through nothing of our own. We're saved simply because of the mercy of God. Luke's telling us here, no for certain kingdom people rely on God's mercy. Christians rely on God's mercy through Jesus' death on a cross. And just as I'm kind of finishing up, the last point I have is kind of, how does this look? What does it actually look like? Because this is a message that we seem to know quite well. This is a message that I hope those who are Christians know and understand and can relate to. But if you're standing on the outside, what if you're saying, but what if I'm not good enough? What if I can't be like that person or live a life like this minister? Or what, what if I can't keep it up? What if I like the idea of it now, but I don't know if 10 years down the line or even 10 weeks down the line, if I can carry on living the way that Christians are meant to live? What makes this good news is that we are assured of our soul's destination in eternity. 
through this simple message, there is nothing that we do. It is simply by God's mercy that we are saved. It's not like we write a contract out before God and say, I will do this, 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 and this. It is simply by God's mercy that we are saved. And that's what makes it wonderfully good news for us. There are no IOUs in God's kingdom. And if you are a Christian, then what we need to take from this is know for certain kingdom people still rely on God's mercy. I think this is what struck me the most this week as I've been preparing. It's not only the prayer that gets us through the door, but it's the prayer that we pray every single day. Every single day we pray this prayer. And I know that there's times where we think, am I really a Christian? If people knew what I'm really like, if people knew what I was last night, if people knew the thoughts that run through my head, if people know what I'm tempted to watch online, if people know what I think about myself, would they think I'm a Christian? Well, Jesus gives us the fullest assurance of being saved in this parable. Turning to a merciful God is what saves us, and that alone. Jesus doesn't die for a better version of ourselves. Jesus died for us exactly as we are. He knows us better than ourselves. We humble ourselves and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as I said, this isn't just a gospel message of what it means to how to become a Christian. This is what it looks like to be a Christian not only what keeps us, not only what saves us, but it's what keeps us saved in a sense. It's what keeps us going. You may sit here this evening as a veteran Christian. Well, the message of this is to remember the simplicity of it. Part of me wanted to almost caveat what Luke is saying here by saying that we live and we're saved by grace and we carry on living that way and we are changed in what we do. That we're saved by grace, this is what gets us in the door, and then there's things that we have to do, there's things that we have to abide by, there's sin that we have to deal with, and that is true. But Jesus doesn't caveat it here. Jesus says, the Christian is a person from day one to year 85 who prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's nothing that we can add to the table afterwards. It's good news that regardless of the tax collector's life up until then, and knowing the mistakes he would make again and again and again, he is saved. When Jesus comes again to judge, we stand before him and roll out nothing of our own, but we say, Jesus, be merciful to us sinners. And as a church, we need to remember the goodness of this. We, we could easily say, thank goodness I'm not like this church, or thank goodness our church is rigorous and biblical and stands up for truth. Don't get self-righteous. Don't be self-righteous. Charmers are a church full of sinners. 
even standing up for what we believe the Bible says and taking stands publicly to stand up for Jesus and his word. And that's to say God says to stand up for truth and what is right and to stand up for things. But when Jesus comes again, we will say nothing but God have mercy on me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. We can have no more exalted a prayer than the tax collector. Because of our exalted Savior, we can be exalted. By praying the prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is the only way that we are saved. And I'll just finish, I'll read some of the verses of the song we're going to finish with. It's in Christ alone. And listen to this. Jesus was scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus was completely humbled. And then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. Humbled people will be exalted because of our exalted Savior's humbling. Remember this, charmers. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simple message of the gospel. We thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us, and we pray as we leave here tonight, we would understand more, we would grapple more with what you have done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.